This episode has been sponsored by Seeds of Growth Grief Education. Seeds of Growth Grief Education trains and certifies professionals working with families in the pregnancy and infant loss community. We are so honored to have you join us for this episode of Beyond the Loss. I'm Aditi Leverage, brief parent to two and parent to one living child. I'm a specialized pregnancy and infant loss coach and founder of the registered charity, the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center. And I'm Danielle Kaluski, bereaved parent to my daughter, Emelina, and parent to two living daughters. I am the co-founder and director of operations for the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center. On this show, we share real stories about parenting and healing through pregnancy and infant loss. We allow space for the often silenced truths around loss to be heard. We offer an affirmative space for all people impacted by loss to share their stories, their triumphs, and their healing. Please remember that the stories shared are personal stories and are not to be used in replacement of professional advice. Please visit our charity link in the show notes for additional support should you need. We are so excited to have you join us for today's episode. Let's start talking. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Beyond the Loss. And today it is myself and Danielle. We do not have a guest. And while I love all of our guests, I get so much from those conversations and our guests. I really also really enjoy these solo episodes as well, because I think that Danielle and I have some really good conversations and I'm always excited to share those with all of you. Um, How are you, Danielle? How are you today before we dive in? Thanks, Aditi. I am doing well. You know, another holiday has passed. We're moving into some more holidays. So working on that grief every single day and every single holiday. Yeah, it's kind of what, so I was out for a walk yesterday by myself, which often doesn't happen, but I'm making more space for that to happen. And I was listening to my music and then I had a thought for what we would talk about today on our podcast. So I texted Danielle and we both agreed this is something that a topic that Danielle and I talk about all of the time. It's at the center of all of the work that we do through the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center and how we do the work that we do. So what we wanted to chat about today was grief work, what grief work actually looks like versus what we think or thought it was and what we did at the time and how that's changed to what we do now when we're experiencing grief and that can be grief in terms of pregnancy and infant loss and it can be grief the grief of all of the other parts that are impacted so grief of relationships grief of self grief of the world that we thought that we had i think this is just a really important topic in my opinion because i i've obviously i founded the center and i've built my coaching business on this topic (laughs) really right i think people have a preconceived notion of what grief work is and then we they kind of do that work and it's totally different in reality and so how do we make space for the actual grief work um, that we need in order to move forward so what is grief what what is grief work or what did grief work look like for you danielle 10 years ago when 
Emelina passed away. I thought grief work was just getting through each day. I thought it was as each anniversary came that that itself was enough grief work because I go back to the old, I heard it the other day, which was somebody had said, well, time heals all. And so I thought I just need time. Like time is going to heal my grief. Time is going to make this all better. And we know that that actually isn't true. And every time I hear that phrase now, well, time heals all, I'm like, no, it doesn't. And it's actually something that like makes me very animated because I waited seven years to do grief work because I kept, everybody kept saying, well, Danielle, it's just, it's just time. And yeah, there is some spaces in which time does matter. You know, I am 10 years out from the death of my child. So the emotions sometimes aren't as large and they're not as intense as day one. But I think that's the thing though, right? Is that time didn't heal you. It changed. Yeah. Right. I think that, I think that's the difference is that time doesn't heal without active something happening, but over time with real work and intention and energy, it can change. 100%. So Easter was the first holiday I had to deal with after the death of our child. And I've always had a hard time with Easter because of it, because I had to show up on Easter for my living child. And I didn't want to, because I was grieving really hard. And so every year Easter is kind of that I don't want to call it that trigger point, but it's like that. It's always been that activating point. I can get through most of the holidays, but when Easter comes, I'm like super activated and I've never been able to put in words or explain to anybody why it's been super activating or why I feel this way until the last few years. And it's been, it's been super activating because it was that first holiday because I didn't allow myself at that point to actually like look at the holiday and look at my grief. I just kept saying, well, next Easter is going to be better. Next mm-hmm. Easter is going to be better. Well, guess what? Seven years of Easter's mm-hmm. that sucked royally for me. So what did you, so, so it sounds like to me that you were like a passive passenger mm-hmm. expecting for it to be different and also pushing it away. Right. Because I wasn't given any grief tools to actually be like, okay, I'm grieving. We need to do some work here between six and seven years. I was that passive person. I kept looking for, okay, well, if I acknowledge Emelina, it's going to get better. If I ignore Emelina, it's going to get better. If I just show up every day, I get up and I say my affirmations, I'm going to be better. I wasn't. Actually, I was in a very, very bad place in which it affected my relationships with my child, my living child. It affected my relationships with my husband It affected my relationships with every single person around me because I was being passive on the grief journey and I wasn't actively doing anything. And why do you think that is? What prevented you from being an active participant in your grief? I think it's twofold. One I'd had a lot of grief and trauma and, and, you know, the word trauma is thrown around a lot right now, but I truly did have a very traumatic childhood. There was situations that children should not be exposed to 
that I lived through for 18 plus years. So for me, I was taught at that very young age that this, this situation happened, but we just push it down and we just move on. Like that's just a bump in the road. So you're exposed to a situation where your parents are separating or whatever that looks like. And you're allowed to be sad, but then after a certain point, you needed to, you know, stop. You need to put a smile on your face and you need to move forward because you didn't want to look back. That was the way I was, I was raised is we're not looking back. We're not paying attention to all the stuff that happened in the past. We're going to look at trying to make the future better. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that for a child. It doesn't work like that for an adult. You can't replace a baby that's, or a child that's dead with another baby. It doesn't, it does not matter. And I've always been a firm believer in like, just because one child is dead because I have another child, it doesn't mean that it's going to solve the problem. Actually, in my case, it made it worse. So for me, I was taught that you just, the the bad bad things happen, but you be positive and you look at the future and then the future is going to be better. You just have to work harder. You work harder. You're going to be successful. Well, it doesn't work with grief. There is no success in grief. No, no, there isn't. So that was a big part of it. And then the other part was, is that when I was looking for somebody that actually understood pregnancy and infant loss and that grief, I couldn't find it. The solutions I was seeing from therapists, when I would go to a therapist, they would say, Danielle, you just need to take some time for yourself. Do you think you can carve out one hour a day? to do something for yourself. How is doing something for myself going to help me deal with all this immense grief and anger and frustration? I feel, yeah, like may help with some overwhelmness, but the overwhelm was the symptom that wasn't the cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so everything like you were saying, I, I definitely relate to I was the same way especially with my first loss I like didn't I just yeah avoided it I avoided it and then also tried to toxic positivity my way out of it as well I remember a family member of mine had said well it's actually good that this happened because obviously the baby wasn't healthy and then I started to like repeat that similar sentiment to myself, like, oh, this is a good thing. And all it did was push away the actual feelings that I was having. And it reminds me of um, like what we talk a lot about at the center is the like the grief recovery method, which is these myths that that become, well, because nobody teaches us how to grieve. No one teaches us how to grieve, even though we all are going to experience. That is one thing that we all as humans in this life are going to experience is we are going to experience grief. That is a guarantee. And yet, because it's people are so afraid of it, we don't teach people how to move through it when we're inevitably touched by it. And so there's this like societal myths that we kind of develop as our tools and you touched on some of them so that the myths are don't feel bad mm-hmm. right that's how i was that's that's what that sentiment as well you know happens and everything happens for a reason don't feel bad i think that's i'm going to call bullshit on that phrase excuse my language but <laughs> bullshit number two is replace the loss and this in the pregnancy and infant loss community i think is so common to hear right well you're young you're healthy or you can get pregnant again or oh like look like you said you have your living children 
Like, so it's like replace what you lost just with the gratitude of your living children. We don't want to replace our child. We wanted that child and that deserves to be felt and talked about and just give it time, which you talked about, right? Giving it time does nothing. If, especially if we're a passive passenger in our grief, time doesn't do anything because then we'll be seven Easter's later and still in the very same spot. Be strong for others. And I think this is very true, especially for parents mm-hmm. um, that do have living children, right? Well, I don't have time to grieve because I have a, I have a child, like another kiddo, or I have to be strong for my partner. This is very true for partners that are grieving and keeping busy. Grieving people are the busiest people you'll ever meet. I did that when I, after I had my first loss, oh, I was like dec- redecorating my home and doing all kinds of stuff just to keep busy because I didn't want to actually acknowledge the pain and the grief and the anger and the frustration that was present for me. And then there's grieving alone. We kind of grow up in a society that because we're so uncomfortable with grief, we feel we have to grieve alone. And I did that. I definitely did that. I wrote about it once on my Instagram about having this New Year's Eve party because I had my first loss on December 26th and we had this New Year's Eve party planned prior and I went through with my plan and I had this house full of people and I've never felt more alone in my life. And I, and it was because of that. I felt that I had to grieve alone. Nobody else should have to sit in their discomfort, even though I was sitting in such discomfort for that time. And so we kind of use these myths and they become our tools. And when we grieve, you mentioned so many of these Oh, all of them. Like even the grieving alone, I didn't, I had a few people that like I would connect to that would check in with me, but I had a wide social network. We're talking, I could have upwards of 50 people at my house for a friend's giving or to celebrate, or just because we wanted to have a get together in the summer. Let's say I could have up to 50. That's like adults and children at my house. And I thought, I'm like, I got this. I got a great social network. Actually, I had no one because nobody was comfortable with my grief. Like there were certain people in my life that were, but then after a certain point, they were like, well, you should, you like, you should just be back to normal Danielle. Well, I wasn't back to normal Danielle and I'm not the normal that I'm not the Danielle I was before is not the Danielle I am now. And I'll never go back to that person. No, no. And so then if we know that these things don't work, this is, this is, I would say like in the work that I do one-on-one with clients, with the work that we do with the, our community at Pilsk, I would say this is primarily like, I will see clients and they will come and they're like, they believe that grief, like you said, I can't remember what you said exactly, Danielle, but like an accomplishment. No, what was the word that you used? There's no success. Success. Yes. And I feel like that's how a lot of grieving people view it is okay I need to do x y and z because we've all heard of like the stages of grief Hmm. and even the person who came up with stages of grief never envisioned it to be a state like steps like one two three four and then you end it it was supposed to be cyclical and something that you dip in and out of all of the time and yet we have kind of because I think that's who we are as humans is we like to compartmentalize and we like a very clear-cut plan like so we're gonna do x y and z and then we will be quote unquote healed And what I know, and what I think, you know, 10 years later is it's nothing, but it's, that's just, that's so far from the truth. And for me, that truth means 
grief work for me, what I thought it was, was this, right? Is the steps, you do X, Y, Z, you're healed. You have your living child or you decide not to have your living child, you live your best life, and then you never, like, the grief is gone. In reality, what I've seen is the grief stays with you and you carry it with you at every step of your life. It's not something that we get to set down. It is not something that we're ever quote unquote healed from. What does, and for me, what I've seen, especially over the last six years in particular, I would say with grief of any kind, whether it's pregnancy or infant loss, whether it's the grief of a a relationship, grief of self, whatever that grief is, is we have to allow space to feel it. And we as humans run from that because it feels, I was gonna swear again, (laughs) but it feels freaking awful and nobody likes to feel it. However, if we're running from it, if we're being a passive passenger in it, it's gonna come up. It goes back to the whole adage of, all the tool, if you, if you decide you want to do self-work in the community right now, everybody's giving you coping tools. Mm-hmm. Well, coping tools are great. However, you're not processing the grief. Mm-mm. And so what I was doing, or I thought I was doing really well, where if you talk to my husband and my older child, they'll tell you I was not doing it well. I thought I was coping. I was journaling. I was going for walks. I was doing the affirmations. I was, you know, doing all these things that people, I was working out. I was coping. Actually, I was not coping. What I was doing was exactly what you said. I was avoiding all those feelings. And what was coming is that those feelings are still there. They're still manifesting in your body. So I manif- I ended up with a chronic illness and I've ended up, I ended up being a very angry, like I always say, like I was always being not triggered, but if anything happened, I would react in anger. Mm-hmm. So it was set you, like set you back in a way it would. And it was like, I was in that space for about seven years where I just was like, I'm doing everything. They're telling me I'm supposed to work out. So, you know, I have this baby and I have this quote rainbow baby. I have my last living child and I'm supposed to work out because that's going to help with postpartum. That's mm-hmm. going to help with the anxiety. That's going to help with everything. Yeah. All it did was mask a situation Mm -hmm. that was still there and it was still festering. And because I kept coping with it instead of processing it, it just manifested into a space in that seventh year that was just horrible for everybody around me and myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. Like the coping is a bandaid. It's a, it's a passive tool. It's how do I cope in this moment when things feel uncomfortable so that I just no longer feel uncomfortable. The only way out is through and, and, and to get through discomfort, we have to go into it. We have to go into it. I had like a life altering moment before my second loss, when I was waiting for my body to go through the second loss. And I had this life altering moment where I was sitting in meditation and really allowing the discomfort to come up. And this quote came to me that in order to regain our, like, we have to be willing to lose everything in order to regain ourselves. And for me, and I can still see it, the picture that came in my mind when I heard that quote that came up from, I don't even know where inside of me, was literally like this, like, wall just crumbling. And then me getting to pick up the pieces and put them back 
in a way that made more sense and was more sturdy. And I think that that visual is always what I carry forward in this work and in this in, in this space be, and in my life, really. When I am, quote unquote, falling apart, I find it breathtaking because that's where the power, that's where the healing is. It's that crumbling so that I we have to lose everything sometimes. Yeah. We, we do. Because, you know, people say it in recovery, right? In like addictions recovery, you have to hit rock bottom. I, I feel like that's the same for grief recovery. Not that we ever recover from grief, but in grief work, I think that that's the same sentiment. We can't do surface level healing when it is not the surface that is broken. It's something much deeper than that. Our soul, our heart is deeper. And if we don't ever connect to those spaces and the real pain that's there, how can we possibly build a foundation that's stronger? We can't, in my opinion. <laughs> well, and I agree because it's that foundation. What I realized around year seven was that I didn't have a strong foundation. I had built my whole emotional grief, the whole piece on this foundation that was cracked. And it wasn't just like had little cracks. It had major cracks in it because I wasn't because, and it really came from a conversation I had with my sister. And my sister was saying, Danielle, like I took this parenting class because my child is really challenging to parent. And I was like, okay, you know, and she's sharing this. She says, but Danielle, they actually didn't teach us how to parent. Mm-hmm. What they told me was that my childhood was causing my behavior as a parent. And I was like, whoa, 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 what? And she was like, Danielle, we didn't have a healthy childhood. We had a very traumatic childhood and we are bringing that into every stages of our life. That's why each one of us is successful in our careers. But when you look at our family lives, we're all struggling because you're building this house on like, you're building this very precarious space where the foundation isn't strong. And yet you're, you're, you're moving upwards. You're not worrying about the basement because you're like, no, we just have to, you know, if we just get taller, we'll get well, stronger. The basement is dark and it's scary. Yeah. Right. If we're using this metaphor, right. People, I remember being a kid being terrified to go into the basement. Yeah. Right. And you have a traumatic event or you associate the basement with like this dark, scary place. And so, yeah, we avoid it at all costs because it is, it's uncomfortable. It's scary. It's awful. And yet if we don't go into it, the foundation, the rest of the house, the rest of whatever it is we're trying to build and attain and and move forward into isn't strong. No. And it all came where I had decided that I was not happy with my, so I built this really, really good career. And after I had given birth to my last child, I thought, I'm not going to go back. This place isn't healthy for me. You know, this is what's causing my mindset. When a year later, I was like, whoa, I'm actually still in the same mindset. Two years later, I'm like, whoa, I'm still in the same mindset. It actually wasn't the the company I was working for. It wasn't the role I was working in. It was actually me. And it was that I personally, deep down, was unsatisfied with what was happening. And I was unsatisfied because I'd have all this grief from childhood, from the death of my child, and I wasn't dealing with it. I was just Mm -hmm. pushing it outside. And, you know, you go back to some of our beginning podcasts where I say what had to happen is I had to lean into those emotions. I had to lean into all the ugliness and be okay with crying on Christmas and be okay with just like saying no to situations and crying and backing out when I felt uncomfortable. I 
I really like honoring what I was feeling, not what I needed to show up or pretend I was. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that, that, that's the thing I always say it all the time when people there's, you know, there's multiple quotes around it, right? It's okay to not be okay. Healing comes from feeling. We know that intellectually, but how many of us actually give ourselves the space to, to do that? And I think that that's really the work and the space that we hold at the center and the space that I, I, I try to hold in this community and in my one-on-one work is, is really allowing that space for people to process it, feel it, instead of let's take you through X, Y, and Z in order to heal we have to, we have to go there. We have to go into the basement. We have to allow it to crumble. We have to set a new foundation and it's hard and it's uncomfortable and it's scary. And it's, in my opinion, necessary and really the only way through this. Yeah. It's probably the hardest work you're ever going to do, to be honest. Oh, it is. And it's ongoing work. It's ongoing work. Mm -hmm. The way we carry our grief changes and the way and the work that we do around it changes and it's ongoing work. So you and I are both 10 years out and we're continuously doing this work. The work looks different from what it was in year one and two, and it's still the work. And it's not only around the, like I said, the grief around our losses, like pregnancy and infant loss. It's all of the other losses that have stemmed. And 10 years later, we're seeing come from that, right? Like my, I'm separated and that there's a whole grief and loss component that now 10 years later, post loss, I'm, I'm having to revisit. And it's, it's, it really is. It's about letting myself cry. It's about letting myself feel scared about the future. It's all of it coming back. And yet now what I know differently is that I have to allow myself to do that. I can't, there's no X, Y, and Z. And yes, I could Google how to make it through a separation, <laughs> how to get through my divorce, whatever that looks like. Yeah, I could Google it. Those are, those are the coping skills that, that, that aren't helpful. I need to really process it. I need to process who I was, who I'm going to be, all of it, and really allow myself to feel. I kind of think back to like when I was a teenager and I broke up with a partner. You know, you put on the sad songs and you wail and you eat ice cream and oh my goodness, we need to get back to that. That's, that's it, right? That's it. And so what, no matter kind of, no matter what kind of grief and loss you are moving through, the answer is to move through it. Yeah. And to sit in it because that's what we did as teenagers. We just sat in the sadness. We sat, you know, we listened to the sad songs or whatever. We don't need to move on. We need to sit in it. And And I think that's, that's the thing. People see you wallow in it, right? Like people were like, oh my gosh, teenagers, they wallow in there. I think it's actually very healthy. (laughs) Like they're not wallowing, they're feeling it. There's a difference between wallowing and feeling to move forward. Yeah. It goes back to this old adage that I remember hearing um, when I was doing some learning and some parenting courses. And that was, if your child loses their favorite stuffed animal, because this happened to my older child. She lost her favorite stuffed animal, the whole wide world. And we tried to solve it. We were running out to try to buy a new one. We were running out to try to find it, all these things. We came back, we bought her this new, exactly the same stuffed animal. She refused it. She needed to grieve it. She needed to be sad. And then one day she asked for a new stuffed animal. We were like, of course you can have a new one. She spent an hour and a half picking out a stuffed animal, but that stuffed animal that she picked out 
back that day when she was three years old is still the stuffed animal my child has in her room. And even though we tried to replace it, she wasn't ready to replace it, but she was ready to move on to something new when she was ready. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I share that all the time about how we do this to children. And so, so that's how this, how it becomes embedded in ourselves, right? Because we do this, we do this to children. And so really what they're feeling is normal grief response. Right. And so we should allow them at three, my child had more emotional capability than I did as an adult, because mm -hmm. she said, I don't want that. I'm sad. I'm going to cry. And we actually just had to let her cry because she wasn't, we couldn't stop it. No, you and can't, when, can't rationalize yourself out of that space. Right. And when she was ready, she asked for something new, which mm -hmm. was just fine. It wasn't replacing her stuffed animal, but it was allowing her to have something new to connect with and to love. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So on that note, I would like to share this quote. It's one of my favorites. It says, sit with it, sit with it, sit with it, sit with it. Even though you want to run, even though it's heavy and difficult, even though you're not sure of the way through, healing happens by feeling. And so it is scary as all heck and it's uncomfortable. And there are spaces such as our space that will hold it for you. We will hold your hand while you move through this so that you can actually come out the other side, not suppress it, not push it down, but actually move through it. That's what we do, I think, very differently at Pelsk. We're not gonna teach you any tools. We're gonna allow you the space to safely process it. So if you have listened and any of this resonates with you, I encourage you to visit our website, which is in the show notes, and work with one of our professionals, attend one of our groups, find the community and let us hold your hand through it. You're not alone. And there is another option when we look at grief work. It's scary and it works. So thank you, Danielle. I loved this conversation and we will see you back next time on Beyond the Loss. Thank you. 